Hello and welcome to another episode of Broke Bitch Anonymous. I am going to keep it short and sweet today because in all honesty, I've already recorded this episode or at least the beginnings of it about 25 times. And I've never done that before. I've never had such an issue putting something out. But recently over the last couple of weeks, I've had this voice in my head. I don't like to describe it as that, but you know, this, this self-doubt that keeps echoing through my mind and everything that I do, telling me that it's not good enough, telling me that pretty much everything I'm doing sucks right now. That's how I feel, even though I know myself enough to know that that isn't true. I am literally doing the best that I can uh, in almost every aspect of my life, but I still have this like voice of doubt and it's making it so hard to get anything done. And I think sometimes you have to give yourself some grace. I think that's part of being productive. I think that's part of being a smart person. I think that's part of being successful is knowing when to afford yourself some grace because you're going through something, knowing when to rest, knowing when to chill the fuck out, knowing when to persevere, knowing when to push through, whatever it is that you're going through, knowing yourself enough to know what is the most appropriate solution to the times that you don't feel like yourself. So I'm keeping it short and sweet today, but I do have two minor pieces of good news. One that Really, I'm, I'm very late. I'm very late to this realization. Uh, many rich wives before me and rich girlfriends and rich, well, sugar babies. I don't know rich, but whatever. Many women before me, maybe some men too, have come to this grand realization. And I kind of knew it all was deep down, but I didn't know it would be so easy. I recently sold a Chanel bag last week. And of course, there's always this feeling of guilt and kind of like, it's like an admission of failure when you have to sell a designer bag, even if you don't have to sell it. I can't help but wonder, like, if I was truly successful, wouldn't I just be buying more of these? I wouldn't be selling them, you know, even though there is something to be said about recognizing when an investment has run its course, when an investment is time to move on from, when it's time to let go, when it's time to sell, And I think sometimes becoming too emotionally attached to investments, whether that's crypto, the stock market, a purse, a house, whatever it may be, can turn around and bite you in the ass because the really smart people know how to not get emotionally attached to these things and know when to sell when the time is right. And even if you have money, even if you don't need the extra four or five, six thousand dollars from a bag, sometimes when you don't need the money is the best time to make it because you can actually think clearly. When you really need money, when you're really desperate, that might be the worst time to try and finagle some sort of financial success for yourself sometimes, because you're gonna be more desperate and you might sacrifice your integrity for cash, for a job. Whether that's a shitty soul-sucking nine to five, whether that's working at a strip club, whatever that is, when you're really desperate, you are going to make concessions that your otherwise des- non-desperate self wouldn't make. So maybe selling assets, including bags, is best when you're not that desperate. And whether or not you want to think I'm desperate or not, whatever, I sold the bag because the price had gone up 
And frankly, I would rather have that money right now for unforeseen medical expenses, baby stuff to live, to breathe, uh, actual breathing room. I, th- I think it gave me, unlike Joe Biden's alleged breathing room that he gave all Americans this week when he said the price of gas has gone down 25 cents a gallon, which averages out to about $25 a month savings for the average American, a.k.a. breathing room. His words, not mine. Breathing room has not been uh, $25 since, I don't even know, like the 1920s. Um, Breathing room, calling $25 breathing room, what is that? You can literally buy like a couple bottles of water and a meal at McDonald's for $25. And that's not an exaggeration. That is what $25 will get you in 2022. So to call that breathing room for the average person or the average family is so delusional, but we all know that he is delusional regardless. I mean, he has dementia, I believe, but whatever that is not here or there, but it gave me some breathing room. I sold it. They actually sold it. I used the real reel to consign it, which was pretty easy. I'll probably sell with them again, um, depending on what I'm selling, but I chose to get paid now. They appraised my bag, which I paid $4,800 for to be worth $5,800, which is great. So it went up by a thousand bucks. Um, because I chose to get paid now, I only got 70% of the 5,800. So I got just over $4,000. But had I chosen to wait until the bag sells, I would have gotten like $4,600 or something like that. I didn't want to wait only because if you wait, they can also put the bag on sale. And then if it doesn't sell in a certain amount of time, and then you end up getting less and then whatever. So it just felt more secure to just get paid now, keep it pushing. However, While I bought this bag for myself in the beginning of this year, had I not bought it for myself, which I could have had the option to not buy it for myself. I don't know why I bought it for myself. I don't know why I was so proud that I didn't ask the guy who I was like dating, I guess, at the time to buy it for me. Um, I didn't know how much money he had. Now I know because he's literally in prison because he was a giant scammer and I had no fucking idea and everything came out um, and I read all about it and I was like... (laughs) mind blown and terrified and disgusted. But at the time I didn't know he was that rich. So I went and bought the bag myself like a fucking idiot. But had I got someone else to buy it for me, I would have been up $4,000 and mark my words. When I say the next Chanel bag that I buy, unless I come into a bunch of money and I don't really care, even if I do come into a bunch of money and I don't really care, it's always more fun to spend someone else's money. And the next Chanel bag I get, I hope, is a, is a present and the next one after that and the next one after that. And then when I don't want them anymore or when I need the money or when I feel like it's smart to sell, I can just sell and I just can keep walking into four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe even 11, 12, higher than that thousand dollars if I end up getting a nicer bag. So Is it the most stable investment strategy? Absolutely not. However, there is something to be said about looking at, I don't want to say looking at relationships, like financial abilities to like come up because that's, I truly don't really believe that for my actual relationships. Um, At least I don't want to believe that, but you should, I guess, Look out for yourself and be mindful of the fact that there are always opportunities to to advance in life, even just from a gift or something like that. 
So if anyone is offering to buy you a Chanel bag, baby, please accept. And or even even, you know, say you don't want if you have a like a birthday or something like that coming up. If you can, like compound your gifts and be like, oh, I would rather just get this one really nice thing than a bunch of small things for my birthday and Christmas and whatever. I don't know. I'm happy I sold it, though, and I'm happy it was that easy. And it kind of feels like it kind of feels like finding money, like finding 20 bucks in your pocket, even though you knew that money was always yours. It kind of feels like you just made money, even though, well, technically I lost a thousand bucks, but that is what it feels like to me. Of course, there is also always the pretty strong temptation to spend that $4,000 that I just came into because it does kind of feel like I just found $4,000 on the ground and picked it up and the temptation to blow it all on, well, frankly, I'd probably spend it mostly on baby stuff right now, but the old me would have probably just went straight back to Chanel. That temptation is still very strong and of course, there's always there's always things that we want that at least if you're anything like me, there's always stuff that you want that's in the back of your mind that you kind of plan for the next time you can make a bigger purchase. You already have your sights set if you're anything like me, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that this time. I'm going to try my best to be very mindful with just putting this money away and using it wisely on whatever I might need because as I am reflecting on how I grew up in my own parents and their own, you know, propensity to spend money as fast as it came in, I'm realizing that by being bipolar with how you spend money, So not spending any money for a prolonged period of time or a set period of time and then and being able to survive on very little money. And then when you come into some money, blowing it all on a big ticket item, like, for example, my dad bought a Bentley when my mom won the lottery. When I was 10 years old, she won one point one million dollars. My parents had no savings. They had no not a lot of money. My dad drove an Acura before that. I went to public school. Um, It wasn't like they were rich before. So a million dollars was a lot of money. Like that was, it was the definition of literally winning. We literally won the lottery. Like it was, it was so much money. And the next day, instead of investing any of it in something stable, my dad bought a Bentley and you know, I'm, I'm happy for him. It brought him a lot of joy. I was 10. So what, who was I to give them any sort of financial advice, but that was kind of the financial literacy that I grew up with. Like don't spend any money and then splurge on some crazy shit. There was no in between. There was no infrastructure for like a stable future. Um, not that they owed it to me, but they never put any money away for me, for any, for anything like they never started a savings account for me, anything like that, Um, which fair enough, but the money disappeared. The money disappeared almost as fast as it came in because they didn't know what to do with it. And obviously $4,000 is much less than that, 
but I realized that I have inherited a lot of those similar traits. The fact that I could buy my house and my car and save as much money as I had is literally a miracle almost. It was, it's almost like, I think the reason I was able to do it is because it was kind of like running a marathon where after I got past a certain amount of money that I had saved, it kind of felt like why stop now? And if I blow it now, then like it'll all be for nothing. So I kept pushing myself to go further. But if you don't have a lot of money saved, like me right now, it's not like I have that giant nest cushion, nest cushion, whatever that I had before. Um, the temptation to just blow it is stronger because it kind of feels like there's less to lose, even though there's more to lose because you arguably need that money more because you don't have as much of it now. But I've just noticed in myself that I've inherited a lot of those similar traits and I am pretty bipolar with my spending where I won't buy anything and then I'll buy something really nice. And I write that off as like, well, I like luxury and I like nice things and I like quality and all of that's fair enough. But, you know, it's also kind of stupid and it's definitely not the best way to have any sort of financial game plan for the future. And as I'm thinking about my child and like what their financial life is going to look like, I don't want to pass on that. Like, I mean, pretty much financial trauma to my, to my kid, actually compulsive spending, like pretty much being bipolar with your spending is a literal symptom of bipolar disorder. I was reading this story about a man, this is from 2012, but still, this is a documented phenomenon that happens of this millionaire in New York city who went on a spending spree and spent $20 million in the course of a couple of weeks and then checked himself into a psychiatric facility, realizing he was having a bipolar episode because compulsive spending out of nowhere is one of the main symptoms of bipolar disorder and compulsive spending can also, you know, under that umbrella, you can also have gambling, compulsive gambling, things like that. It can get pretty ugly pretty fast. Thankfully, I don't enjoy gambling whatsoever because I've seen the damage that it can do. And I've seen my mom, uh, ever since she won the lottery, develop her own gambling situation. I'm not going to speak on that because I feel like she would hate me, but, um, I've just seen how ugly gambling can get. And I have no interest in that. I hate losing money. Um, it's the worst feeling ever. In my opinion, one of the worst feelings ever. I It feels like a, a great injustice to me, even though it's not the end of the world. Usually, I just hate the feeling of it. And I just, I, I really don't like gambling. But, um, but yeah, compulsive spending is a symptom of bipolar disorder. And I don't, I don't have bipolar disorder. I mean, I've never been diagnosed with it. And I I think I'm actually pretty good when it comes to compulsive spending. I don't do it that often and I'm pretty rational with what I do end up buying as much as sometimes I probably could afford to chill a little bit. I think we all could. We pretty much are conditioned in a, in a society that encourages compulsive spending, that encourages debt, that encourages uh, lines of credit, that encourages leases, that encourages buying shit. We are we live in a society that buying stuff is power and it's really really hard to get out of that. I'm not saying I'm out of it. I'm not saying I'm even getting out of it, but just being aware of your spending habits and for me how bipolar they can be is really important cuz I don't want to pass this shit on to my kid at the same time 
it's an interesting question because it's like I'm grateful for some of the struggles I had growing up because don't get me wrong. I didn't have like the toughest childhood or anything like that. And it did get um, better as time went on as my parents made more money. And then for high school, I went to a different like school. I went to a really good school and whatever. Um, but in elementary school, I went to like a pretty shitty public school. We uh, I was talking to a friend of mine recently who went to the same school as me. We both in high school failed math because we were not taught math in elementary school you know people in our school were smoking weed in fifth grade uh we graduated with people that would go on to become heroin addicts um there was a lot of single parents it was just that which was normal um but it just wasn't like the best education environment it wasn't we didn't really learn it was it was when I look at it it was really like a crazy elementary school and it definitely taught me a lot of street smarts and I'm grateful for it Apparently, now that she's a teacher, she knows other teachers and substitutes who flat out refuse to teach at False Creek Elementary, which is the school we went to because it's too bad and the kids are too bad and it's just too difficult. So that's funny. I had no idea. Um, But at the same time, I don't know if I would have changed it as much as like I didn't learn the foundation, uh, most foundations of like writing and reading and math and stuff like that. I did learn how to survive in the world and I learned how to interact with every different type of person. I learned how to not feel sorry for myself. I learned how to not feel like a victim and I learned, I don't know, I guess I kind of just, I cut my teeth at False Creek Elementary School in some ways. And I'm not saying that I would want my child, that I would wish that on my child because there was a lot of bullying, even by the teacher's and just very dysfunctional patterns that um, existed within the walls of that school. I do think there's something to be said about letting your kids struggle in a smart way. I think there's something to be said about making your kids have to figure it out, about allowing them to develop some kind of street smarts and a sense of individuality and ability to survive on their own like one thing that my friend and I were saying when we were reflecting on all the people we went to school with and stuff like that is that you know none of us ever gave up none of us ever give up and most of us are in better situations than our parents were at least so we've already done something to improve the cycle but I guess the question is like how do you allow your kids to go through some of the same struggles that you went through without passing on your trauma to them? How do you allow your kids to not be spoiled without passing on the trauma that you had? I'm not sure the answer to that question. However, I will not be blowing all of my money in one place (laughs) for now. And I hope that I can keep that pattern up for the future because I definitely don't want to be the head of a household where everything is kind of bipolar and dysfunctional when it comes to money and pretty much the only financial advice that my parents ever gave me was like don't spend money or like spend a lot of it it was it was like we're going on a shopping spree literally after my mom won the lottery or like never spend money, just don't spend it. And that's not realistic because to live in the world, you uh, need to spend something. 
You need to buy food. You need to pay rent. You need to, it's not free to live in the world. So not spending money is really bad financial advice. (laughs) And I think that's what created a lot of my anxiety around money for a long time was because I just always felt like, okay, I can't spend money. And that's, that's just not a realistic way to exist. And you're always going to fail if you set yourself up for not spending money. It's impossible. Um, it's impossible. You can you can do it for maybe a, a few days, a few weeks if you prepare, but it's not going to last. So I don't even know where to go with that. I don't even know where to go with that. But um, let me leave it here, I guess. On another topic, sort of. Recently, I made a friend who is about the same amount of pregnant as I am or like as far along as me. I hate I hate that term as far along as something so gross, like far along. It's so something so gross about it to me. It's kind of like when people call themselves creators, like when you make YouTube videos and TikToks and stuff like that and how um, ubiquitous that term has become. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm just a hater, but something about the term creator feels so it's almost like godlike in the worst way where someone says, oh, well, I'm a creator. And it's like it almost sounds more exclusive and elite than like artist or a super accomplished artist or something like that. It literally sounds like you're giving yourself a godlike quality with almost no qualifications and no reason to be doing that. So I just always cringe at it. But um, anyway, she's as far along as me or whatever, like a couple weeks further along. And both of us have always been pretty healthy. She was like thinner and fitter than me before she got pregnant. Um, And when she got pregnant, she went to go see her OBGYN, her like prenatal healthcare provider. And her doctor told her that she didn't need to take vitamins as long as she eats well, as long as she eats fruits and vegetables, she'll be fine. excuse me which I think is insane I would have walked out probably of that doctor's office because vitamins are important but those are just my own beliefs but fast forward to now off the advice that she was given by her doctor she has developed several complications she has preeclampsia which is high blood pressure in pregnancy which can be really dangerous Um, there's like a spinal problem. I don't know. I think she's going to be fine and I'm praying for her and I think she's going to be fine. She's young. I think it's going to be okay. But the fact that her doctor gave her no advice as to how to prevent this, which vitamins help prevent preeclampsia. And the fact that her doctor has given her no advice as to how to treat it or help it, except to not stress out, which is probably the most delusional advice you can give someone after you've just told them they have dangerously high blood pressure and then you just say but don't stress out like I would be stressing out I think that's the natural human response to be stressing out so it's kind of it's a very frustrating situation but it's made me realize even going to my it made me think about my my last OBGYN who got my medical records wrong um, who created a lot of doubt throughout my pregnancy that I've still had to carry with me because I'm like, I don't know what was right, what was wrong. Thankfully, this new doctor, you know, we're figuring it out and it's going to be okay, <laughs> I hope. Um, it's just made me think about 
I guess the hierarchies of, of competence in the world, both in medicine, but in every profession. And I think we're often taught lately to believe that like everyone is equal and everyone tries their best and everyone can do a good job. But the fact is there are hierarchies of competence that I think are very important to understand when you're hiring anyone for literally anything. And also when you're pursuing your own career, like if you're going to be something, you might as well strive to be a great version of that thing, whether you're being a writer, a stripper, whatever you want to be, whatever you're aiming to be, understand that there are people who are better than you and worse than you. And there is a hierarchy that's inevitable. And I think it's a good thing in some ways, because if you need a service, it allows you to hopefully choose the best person for the job. And while those hierarchies might not be immediately apparent to us, I do think that it's important that we call them out as we begin to recognize them. Because if we don't, then we're going to end up believing that things just happen. Things just happen by accident. Things just happen sometimes. You have no control over anything. When that's not true. You have some autonomy and some control and some ability to hire the best person for the job, to be the best X, whatever it is you choose to be, you have some free will to do these things to the best of your ability. And if you don't accept that and you don't call out hierarchies of competence when you see them, then you're going to end up believing that you're always the victim, that things are always just happening to you and you have no power over them to control them, to at least increase your chances in bettering your outcome. Whether that's hiring a plumber for your house, whether that's hiring a doctor, a contractor, someone to do your fucking nails, it doesn't really matter. You're going to always believe that you are the victim and that isn't true. We're not always the victim. And I've come to the understanding that I have so much respect for people who do not play the victims of their own lives. People who immigrate to other countries and start with nothing and don't complain and build themselves up from nothing. I have so much immense respect for that versus someone who went to an Ivy League school, had arguably every advantage that most people are not given and is still whining about being the victim of their own lives. It's so pathetic to me. And just to be super clear before I wrap it up, my friend is not playing the victim whatsoever in her situation at all. In fact, I think she should be calling out her doctor more for just the fact that her doctor seems to really suck ass at her job. But regardless, it's not my business. I know she's going to be fine. I know my friend's going to be fine. Um, but she's not playing the victim. But this is a pattern of thinking that I've noticed that I wanted to point out. And I do believe that as it's more and more normalized to be told that you're a victim of this or a victim of that, a victim of some kind of suffering, whatever that thing might be, calling out hierarchies of competence does give you some 
ability to take your own autonomy back and not be the victim, I think. So I don't know if that is something food for thought for someone else. I hope that it is. I hope that this made sense. Just to wrap it up, as always, Chanel bags are great investments. Don't tell me I'm wasting my money when I buy another one. Well, hopefully I won't be spending my own money, but we'll see. And yeah, I guess that's it. And by the way, did you know that designer bags now don't have serial numbers? They actually have microchips, which is crazy. And on the microchip, they put the serial number. But in order to verify the authenticity of the bag, they need to like send it to a lab to find the microchip and then to scan it. So you can't just take your bag into a store anymore and they verify that it's authentic unless they have that technology there. Apparently, a lot of high-end luxury retailers are doing this to prevent consignment, to prevent luxury consignment stores like The Real Real or whatever else to prevent reselling. But I don't know how I feel about it because I think that luxury resale is part of the economy of luxury. Like part of the exclusivity and elusiveness of Hermes and a Birkin from Hermes is the fact that yes you can buy one for two or three times the price resale but actually getting one from Hermes is still harder than it's ever been and it only adds to the fact that it's harder than it's ever been because more and more people are aware of the Birkin because they are available for resale but just at way higher prices so I feel like luxury resale actually benefits a lot of designer brands because usually those resellers are charging more and it's almost justifying the price, the original price of the designer item even more. I don't know if I'm crazy for thinking that, but it's just bizarre to me that they're trying to crack down on luxury resale when I think that it's just such a, such an integral part of the luxury goods economy. I can't imagine it ever not existing. I mean, I don't think it's ever going to go away. It's just like a weird mechanism that they're trying to do. Also with microchips, I didn't know that they were putting them in bags now, but it's strange. Like apparently on the microchip, they have all your information, including the credit card that you use to actually buy the bag or whatever it is. Um, they have all your information stored on the microchip and obviously microchips have like a lot of other capabilities. I mean, I don't think Chanel is like tracking your location or anything like that. I don't know. You never know. I mean, I, I really don't think so, but I do think it's crazy that that is now what designer bags are. They are microchipped pieces of technology. So I guess the more you fucking know, don't um, go tearing into your designer bags, though, to find the microchip. I promise you, if you bought it in the last year, it's probably there and there's probably not much you can do about it. But that's all, everybody. Good night. Good luck. I will see you soon.